band about it for a band, guys. Just hear it. Awesome. All right. So last night, we talked about shalom, the echo of Eden. What our hearts long for. We call them things like dream scenario, but really want, we want everything to be right because God created us to be in a world where everything is right, but it was shattered. We come to Genesis chapter 1, this perfect creation, and God created man and woman in His image, and they were naked, and they were unashamed. No shame. But then there was this great shattering, this great divorce that pushed God away which brought a cataclysmic change in our relationship, brought death and destruction into this world, space-time and history. But then there is this promise, this seed, this small promise of of someone who's going to come and make everything right. He is going to reconcile us to God. The word reconciliation is what we're going to talk about tonight. The most simple definition is this, the restoration of friendly relationships. The restoring of friendly relationships. It means this, we're getting back together. Reconciliation is God saying, I'm going to bring you back to me. Reconciliation is saying, God I'm starting, I'm going to do this. I am going to bring you back home to me. I'm going to bring you back to my love. Love will bring you back home. That's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is peace with God brought about by God, completely by God alone. And that's what we see in our passage tonight. Let's read it. Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 19. For in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's Word. May He bring new life to us through it. Let's pray. Lord, I ask once again that you would give us attentive minds, even though our bodies are tired. Would you soften our hearts? Would you bring about new fruit of joy and hope and obedience and love for you, God? Would you show us Christ by the power of your Spirit, something that you long to do more than anything else, Holy Spirit? We ask it in your precious name, Jesus.
So why does God want to bring us home? Why does he do this? If sin brought about this great, devastating, cataclysmic breach in our relationship, why does God want to bring us back to himself? Really simple. We'll go back to what we said last night. Who is God? God is a father. He's always been a father. Perfectly loving his son through the spirit. God has eternally always been a father, perfectly loving his son through the spirit. He didn't become a father in the New Testament. He's always eternally been the father of the son, perfectly loving the son through the spirit. I'm saying that over and over again so that you will memorize that. Because that is who God is. God is a loving Father. And so the greatest expression of love is reconciliation. The greatest act of love is self-sacrifice. How do I know that? It's literally all over the Bible. Here are just a few passages. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We should just close in prayer. John 15, verse 13, this is Jesus himself. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 1 John 4, 10. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. And we'll talk about what that word means for our sins. And then the most, probably the most famous one, the kind of the football verse, right? John 3.16. Often forgotten, John 3.16 and 17. It's so important to go together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. But God sent the Son into the world so that the world might be saved through him. Love brings us back home. Love brings us back to each other. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. What is reconciliation? God's love brings us back home. What is reconciliation? Why, like, here's the first thing. Why do we need it? That's the first thing. Why do we need it? Second, how does it happen? Because we say, well, what do we do with it? Why do we need it? How does it happen? And then, so what do we do with that love? Why do we need it? Paul tells us in Colossians 1, verse 21, you can keep the passage up there, if you will. Thank you so much. Uh, in verse 21, there it is, perfect, that we were alienated, we were once alienated from God and hostile in mind doing business. He's talking about all of humanity. Not just some, not just some bad people. A universal reality. Every human being that's ever lived since Adam has been, by birth, by nature, al- think about that word, alienated from God and hostile in mind. Alienated. Isn't that a fascinating thing? alienated to become alien to God. To be separated from God. To be away from Him. And to have a hostile mind because of our evil deeds hiding in the darkness. 
full of secrets, a life of secrets. Some of them in very, very attractive packages. Some of them in not so attractive packages. But hiding in these secrets because there is this cosmic box. This is, what the, this is how you understand the good news of the Bible is that there is a fundamental, a basic problem in humanity struck through at the most basic, fundamental level of our humanity. There is a cosmic problem of sin. Now we'll find out it's not greater than love. But there is a cosmic problem of sin. This is what one writer puts it, one, one writer puts it this way. Human beings are so integral, so important, uh, integral to the fabric of things that when human beings turn from God, the entire world unravels. Disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, aging, and death itself are as much a result of sin as are oppression, war, crime, and violence. We have lost God's shalom, which is being flourishing. We've lost God's peace. Physically, spiritually, socially, psychologically. Alienated from God. And here's how you know this. Your generation knows this better than my generation knows this. I'm coming very soon back to this. Maybe you won't, don't want to admit it, but your generation is more confronted with the reality of evil because you have grown up in a world where school shootings are a monthly occurrence. You grew up in a post-9-11. You're growing up in a post-9-11 world. Where every single year, every single you're going to see remi- reminders. You grow up in the shadow of men flying um, planes, jet planes into buildings. You grew up in a post-terror world. I, I used to be. We used to when I was growing up. Used to be able to go all the way to the gate to go see people. You could just like walk in and like, hey, how's it going? And just walk into a gate at an airport and like see people, like just say hi to them and like say welcome to your family. Do some of you old people remember that? You could do so, but now like you literally have to like take off almost all your clothes to get on a plane. You have to have your retina scanned, right? You have you barely like you barely can fly anymore. And that is a reality that you live in. Here's the problem: the Bible would say that that is a cosmic problem of evil alienated from God. That is a cosmic problem. You know it because you live in a world where 12-year-olds kill themselves because they've been cyber-bullied. There's a great songwriter named Jeff Beatty who once wrote, there's something in my veins that is bloodier than blood. Think about that for a second. There's something inside of me Something that is flowing through my veins and the things that I think and the things that I say and the things that I do that are just jacked up. That are bloodier than blood that I would absolutely be shattered if anyone really knew the real me. You ever feel like that? And that's because we are alienated because of our evil deeds from God, from ourselves, and from one another. So what does that mean? Why do we need reconciliation? There is a massive debt we pay. Insurmountable. Infinite. Every sin against an infinite God has infinite implications. As one writer put it, deep down in every human heart, we know that everything must be paid for. That's why I have students 
who have made 36s on their ACTs, making straight A's, part of every single organization. They look all the part in everything that they live with, constant anxiety for when their next foot, the next shoe is going to drop. Like, when is my life going to start sucking? Because I know deep down that I can't keep this up. Because I know deep down everything must be paid for and I don't deserve any of this. They live with a constant sense of guilt and doom. And they're at like the number 14 school in the nation. Not even getting into Vandy has cleansed them of the reality that everything must be paid for. One of the ways you can know why they needed reconciliation, have you ever asked yourself the question, I can't believe I did that to you. Have you ever said that to yourself? I can't believe I just thought that. I can't believe I just said that. The first time I really, really started doing that when I was 22 years old. Because when I was growing up, I was in youth group, I was in private school, I, 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 my childhood and all that kind of stuff. There was a lot of brokenness, but there was always a group of people who were worse than me, right? There was always a group of people that were doing worse stuff. So I could always go like, yeah, you know, nobody's perfect, but it's like, like, the gospel is kind of like mouthwash. Like, no, 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 you can't, right? But like, there was always people that were doing, like, real terrible stuff, right? I could always look at someone that was worse than me to make me feel good about myself. But if I ever had a real gutter weekend where I really, really blew the doors out, where I was really, really, like, looking at the wrong stuff, doing the wrong things, drinking the wrong stuff, completely sort of living in sin, what I would do is I would take Sunday morning and I would say, I'm going to make it work again, and I would self-atone my sin. And I would read my Bible every single day, and I would get through it because I thought it was so boring, but it was like eating my veggies. It was like just dosing on vitamin C. Until I was 22 years old, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I experienced failure for the very first time, real rejection of my life, the very first time in my life, and I was terrified about the things I really thought about. Absolutely terrified. On the outside, I, w I completely could have had you fooled. Shake your hand. I was taught to shake my hand. Shake your hand. Smile. Hey, yeah, how's it going? But deep down inside, I was terrified. I literally, I wanted to die. But I was afraid to die. Because there was so much brokenness inside of me. I thought I had gone too far. I realized at a real experiential, that is in my own life level, that a debt needed to pay, to be, needed to be starkly paid. I had nothing in my pocket. Even my good stuff was junk. And so the question we're come up with a lot of times is, we're alienated from God, evil in our minds. Why can't God just forgive? He's God. God just say, like, I forgive you. This happens in my family a whole bunch. So, like, our kids do something mean, like a brother does something mean to a sister. And we say, like, show your sword, right? That's really good parenting, by the way. Show your sword. And so we, we, we demand the sorry, right? So, like, show your sorry. You're like, I'm sorry. Sorry. And they say, like, I forgive you. It has the, like, emotional, relational significance of, like, a hangnail, right? It is the most meaningless, painless, possible, most ridiculous thing that we're just sort of playing out in front of you. Because no one just forgives. When you're hurt, something's been taken from you. And I want you to think about a father who's been perfectly loving his son through the Spirit since all eternity before he created the purple glossy starling and the superb starling and the opal and the rocky mountain. That's all he's ever done. 
He's never, ever, ever been anything but perfectly loving and perfectly holy in all eternity to have infinite sins of his creation constantly brought up before him all the time, all the time, all the time, assaulting his loving heart. You know what it creates? It's the most unpopular word in the world. It truly is. When I say wrath, it's like dust just comes out of my mouth. It's such an old word. Wrath, you know? When I say wrath to my students at Vanderbilt, they think of like a billboard with like flames coming up, like in Kansas or something, right? Or like in Arkansas, like, yeah, you know, God, wrath, right? The pitchfork. It's like some cartoon word. But here's the thing. Wrath is, God is wrathful because he's loving. Listen to this great quote. I don't like to read long quotes, but you've got to hear this one by Michael Ward. From a book called The Lighting in the Candle. The wrath of God is exactly the opposite of a character book or a nasty side. It is the proof of the sincerity of his love. That he truly cares. His love is not mild-mannered. It is not damp. It is livid. It is potent. It is committed. And therein lies our hope. Through his wrath, the living God shows that he is truly loving. And through his wrath, that he will destroy all devilry. That we might enjoy him in a purified world that holds a tighter hold. He hates what sin has done to his beloved. He hates what it's done to his creation. And so God's wrath is like me being full of anger ridiculous and just the absolute ruthless way to kill someone who could not and will not live for him? No, you would want me to have wrath for him. Why? Because I love my children and I've come back by the blood of Jesus. That's the love of God. He's not just wrathful because something has been done against his very creation, his son, who he created. He loves us so much, his, our sin won't even separate us from him. That's a, you're saying that with a bunch of emotion. You, God loves you so much, your sin can't separate you from him. Tonight, in a room this size, I wonder, some people say, well, we're not that different. But I wonder, in a room this size, reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from sin. God says, hey, right now, like, I don't have a wife, but this night, right now, in this place, in Colorado, right now, I am free from accusation. I am without blemish in his sight, holy in his sight, right this very second. And it's totally not in myself that way, but in God's sight, I can say, God, no, Substitute, the substitute stands in Jesus' place. 
baptismal sacrificial system in the Old Testament was all pointing to someday someone was going to pay for it. It wasn't going to be Isaac. It was going to be the ram in the thicket before they announced Isaac. It was going to be the ram in the thicket. It was going to be God's son who was going to finally be sacrificed in our place. But notice it says this, in his bosom. This is really important. This is really important for us to understand. Because we are complexly body creatures. We think of ourselves oftentimes when it comes to God as being kind of mechanical, what time we wake up, what time we retire, what time we eat. But this has changed now that we get into science and technology and technology. That we are body and soul. We are this complex being, body and soul. And so here's the thing. Jesus is between flesh and blood. We can see that. Because we are body and soul, he became body and soul. Because our shame and our guilt and all the things we did, they are not just kind of dead. They are encoded. They are in our very root and our bones and our blood and hair and our body. We carry our shame and our guilt and our guilt. That he sends his own son, who is God himself, God the son, and he puts on him a human body. And that through his physical bodily death, he atones, he makes right reconciliation as our substitute for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what I do with my body and with my soul. words of another song by Tim that was really good. Such a beautiful picture of what God gets to do with us. His bones and his body and soul are Receives the divine wrath. God unloads hell on his head, completely upon Jesus. And Jesus Christ never sinned one time. I remember a preacher looking at me one time and he goes, Well, I bet Jesus is a pretty nice dude. I'm like, Why do you say that? Well, like, if he never sinned, he would let the people cut, like, always get into my mansion. And he's like, No, 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 like, that would be sinful. Like, he just ate it, right? He looked down on other people. He's like, That's not a life that he'd have at all. So, what would he look like? He would just eat his soul. He would just eat his soul to God. And every time he got choked up, fed up, drunk, angry, frustrated, he would just look down and say, Man, I don't want to be with you. You sure do look pretty nice. Thank <laughs> you. 
so much. We must do so much that there will become this great, horrible thing that will occur. That God would, the Father would actually turn away from His Son. And He would become all of our sinfulness. He would become all of our sin. He would become all of the blackness. He would become all of our empty promises. He would become all of our dead religion. He would become all of our racism. All, all of our hate. He would become every single bit of it all in one moment. And he would absorb the wrath of God completely for us. Because someone has to pay for my lies and my sin and my wrath. have to pay for justification for his sake. We have to pay for his grace and forgiveness. Justification. Y'all know what justification is. Why? I'm a parent. You live your life to justify yourself until your kids are eighteen. That's what social media is. Justifying my world. Here I am. Tell me I'm worthy. That's what justification is. Justification. What's this justification? Just yes, you get to justify yourself. He tells us we are holy and blameless in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And some of you, all you've ever done is accuse yourself. Some of you have a constant tape in your mind of constant accusation, but you don't get the last word on you. Justification is God saying, you are my righteous. Why? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. It goes straight towards the person and justifies them. says this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says it's for two reasons we're saved. It is the faith that we have heard the gospel. The gospel gives me good news. Not good advice. Good advice is like, be better at this. Work out more. Practice harder. That's good advice. Take your vitamins. Da, 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 right? Good news is just like, this is the best news ever. You have absolutely nothing to do with it. Just get on with life. Just sit down and enjoy the moment. That's good news. Good news means it's true whether you like it or not. It's good. And so as Billy Manning says, just take the cookie. Just take the cookie. That's what for God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Jesus Christ is saying, I've come here for you. Come get this. When I think about the gospel, it's the truth of this. My kids have never, ever been in love uh, with any coaches of our kids, right? We have five coaches in our family. Any coaches or any navigators. I can't tell you what it involves and what you have to do to buy that. It is actually the most fun of the rules. I don't understand any of it because I watch those five coaches. I don't understand the world is and it's just meant to be. They came from Coach Manning's family. They all went to school together. Coach Edwards, Coach, if you like the Cleveland, Hugo Chavez. And so here we are signing all this stuff away and we buy this stuff. We buy this house and all this blah, 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 blah. We buy this house. Here's all our kids get to do. They get to just walk in the door. sit in their bed and they adjust their ears like, Dad, this is a toy room. Yes, Mom, it's a toy room. And you start thinking like, you know, this is an expensive room. 
This is about. That's what reality is about. We're going to sum it all up. What is everything about for crying out loud? When you boil it all down, it's about a father loving his son to the extent of his love can't, his sin cannot separate you from his love. It's going to call as you home. You get to leave. What does that mean? Somebody's going to leave the gospel here. Somebody's going to trust in Jesus. To believe in the gospel means this. To place my faith in Christ means to believe in him. sexually broken than you can even imagine. Own the fact that you can't have more than one wife. Own the fact that you've got addiction. Own the fact that you can't talk to people. Own the fact that you're self-righteous and you judge people when they sin. Own, like, here's what it means. It means own the fact that there need to be a payment and give God the glory of paying it the way he should give it. And then share that gospel with someone else. To lean into Christ is what it means to believe in the truth of the gospel. To trust Christ as God gets more glory. The more sinful and more broken we are, the more glory he gets by forgiving us. So what does that mean? Some of you in this room, some of you, um, in the words of T.S. Eliot in the poem, they had a hand in God. You're involved in something you didn't sign up for. You're involved in a